Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of Tendy Talk, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the BLPA Podcast Networks. I'm your host Joe, better known as Wash Up Goalie on social media. This week I chat with Jeff Glass, the Crash Davis of hockey. Jeff played many years in the minors in the KHL before getting his call up to the Chicago Blackhawks where he got to spend some time as an NHL goaltender. He even spent time as a player coach before retiring from playing and now coaching goalies for the San Diego Gulls and young goalies. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation with Jeff. Well, Jeff, hey, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's uh, fun to get you on. As a uh, Blackhawk fan, I've known who you are for a while, but uh, as a goalie, um, it, it's fun to get you on too because uh, your story is great. You know, you're kind of the, the Crash Davis of hockey there for a while and you finally got that call up. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So, you know, one of the questions I like to ask everybody, and I know when you were on in goal, you talked about it a little bit is, you know, how'd you get your start in the game of hockey aside from the natural, you know, you're a Canadian, so it's a birthright, but uh, you know, how'd you get started in the game? Uh, You know what? It it is the traditional story for me where um, hockey was something we grew up doing in Canada and it's something I love doing, but um, it, it it became much more when I wanted to get into goaltending. And I think everybody, uh, can kind of relate to that when you have uh, a kid that's going through uh, the first couple years of hockey, everybody rotates through and everybody gets a chance to be goalie. And uh, for whatever reason, I just gravitated to the position. And, um, you know, I often get asked why. And I, th- I think it was because of the equipment and because you got to spend, you know, so much time in the net and you didn't have to come off. And it was probably a combination of all the reasons, but I just, I really loved goaltending. And so um, that's when it probably got hard for, 
uh, for my parents, but my dad was never a goalie and, and they didn't know much about it. So then it was time to start to research. And uh, looking back now that I'm a, a goalie coach, I really do appreciate what my dad did looking into. Uh, I know he downloaded and uh, downloaded. What am I saying? He went to the <laughs> library and found goalie books and he, you know, there was different audio recordings and all sorts of resources he could find um, on goaltending, which made it a little bit easier for him to try to present to me uh, something of what he thought it should look like. And, and uh, I really enjoyed that part of it. And um, yeah, I grew up uh, kind of connected with some probably more formal goalie coaches after that. And, and then I was off and running. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we're, we're around the same age. I'm a little bit older than, uh, you know, as, as I say sometimes on the podcast is, you know, we grew up in an area where, or an era when kids couldn't go to YouTube to figure things out. Yes. Um, you know, even, you know, hockey night in Canada, you know, ESPN was there in a lot of games here in the States, but, um, you know, the, the replays weren't focused on goalies unless they were scoring goals. Uh, so there was that. We, we didn't have things like Sense Arena. So it, it was a lot harder for us to learn the position. Um, and it, I, I think goalie coaching and camps was, you know, really starting to come around when, when you and I were kids. But it, it was still fairly a new idea that, you know, kids our age were going to have a goalie coach when there were pros that still didn't have them. Yeah, it, it, you're spot on there, and and I think it's a it's a it's a really interesting comment, and it's a it, it's an observation that I'm excited to see what the next generation of goalies looks like, based on the facts that you know a lot of them do self teach based off of YouTube or whatever. Uh, one of my favorite goalie coaches growing up, his name is John Stevenson. I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, he often referenced, you know, one of the best ways to teach yourself uh, how to be a goalie is to watch Sports Center because. Uh, you'd see the highlights and you'd see almost what not to do. And it was just as valuable as uh, maybe, you know, watching highlights on how we should be doing it is to watch all these goals go in. So he actually encouraged, you know, watching Sports Center, And uh, that's how you teach yourself how to do an interview. That's how you teach yourself uh, how to play the position and on and on. And it, it is very interesting to me and very, uh, I, I think it's going to be an ongoing case study here to see, like you said, what the next generation looks like. Yeah, well, you know, advice for young goalies too is to watch my YouTube channel to see the um, my beer league highlights because that will also show them what not to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yes, they'll, they'll see plenty of goals there, but I, I still, you know, stack the pads and you know play that '90s style. So again, what not to do these days? But you know, I, it's interesting you say that because at the same time, kids are getting in, you know in front of goalie coaches at a much younger age and they're almost becoming goalie robots. I know they've talked about this on in goal magazine that are they maybe getting too much instruction at such a young age to where they don't, they don't know how to scramble. They, they don't have that Mark Andre flurry in them. And maybe that's why we're seeing those rushing goalies um, that wave of rushing goalies right now. Cause they don't get that instruction until 12, 13 years old. So they've had to kind of, figure it out a little bit for a while. Um, are, are young goalies missing that because of it? it it's an interesting comment. And um, I, I do feel like, you know, that specific question I may be unique uh, is unique to myself being spending so much time in Russia myself. Um, I, I was able to actually play against the Vasilevskis, the Samsonovs, the, um, you know, Shishterkin was on my team when I was in uh, Spartak Moscow. So I've, I've seen these goalies firsthand and the way they trained and the way they were brought up and, 
you're, you're, you're not far off. And, and a lot of the times I looked at some of the things we were doing as uh, Stone Age or barbaric or just um, behind the times. But looking back on it now, they were really uh, teaching the athlete more than they were teaching the position. And, and, uh, and there's something to be said for that. And it's something that um, I do value in the way I coach now is there is a time to be technical and there is a time that we need to focus on the details, but um, there also is a time when we need to rely on, on being athletes. And for whatever reason, those countries really prioritize that in their training with the goaltenders. And um, I, I do think you're seeing that and it's not a fluke. And um, like I said, when I was doing it, some of it felt very, um, you know, seventies USSR, uh based where i was you know i kind of chuckled and laughed and said well this isn't how we do it back home but uh but look where they are now and and there has to be something to it so um i i don't i'm not going to go as far as say we we're falling behind or you know where our training needs to change i just do think it needs to be uh, a focus point when when we are training goalies and and the way that these guys are coming up yeah and you know i i think back to my time in college and you know one, one of the drills i loved it was, you know, uh, last puck is what some people are calling it now is where it's just kind of that messing around at the end of practice where it's the goalie versus basically the rest of the team and they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink at you and you're just trying to find a way to stop it. And there's no technique involved. It's just, I, I call it the Marc-Andre Fleury of throwing yourself all around the net. And uh, But then th- those opportunities happen in a game and you don't panic because you've been there before. Yeah, and aren't those games the best? Like, I really, I, they, they just, they to me, they're just wholesome. It's the best. It's the, it's why we play the game is uh, we all started becoming goaltenders because we wanted to stop the puck and be the man and make the big save. And when you get into those kind of games, those kind of competitions, it brings it out in you. And uh, some guys are better at it than others, and, and that's just the reality of it. But um, I, I do think that, that there is something to be said about um, having fun competing and then that battle element or that that desperation that scramble mode who can activate that the quickest when you have to and i i don't think goalies need to get into that mode very often i think we can see the best goalies in the world that um stay away from it but when they have to they get into it and they seem to enjoy it and there's something to be said for that yeah my, my youth goalie coach always said if you're making the highlight re- real save, you were out of position to begin with. So you're, 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 you've got a point there, but, you know, talking about the rebound game or last puck, whatever the kids want to call it these days, you're spot on when you called it wholesome because it was nothing more than me versus you. And some of those games got so darn intense. It was, there, there was almost more riding on it than those big rivalry games. Uh, because it was just bragging rights in the locker room. And when you had those, nobody could take you down. Well, and we're getting to the point now where I I honestly think, you know, analytics and stats are are creeping into practices and it's for the best. I don't want to, I don't want the message to be misconstrued, but you know, we're, we're monitoring practice numbers down to the, uh, the, the 10th of a decimal of output and input and, and, we're forgetting that, you know, at the end of practice, that's, that, that might be the most valuable time when all the yeah. numbers are done and the metrics are off and, and we've practiced all the different disciplines that we need to. And, oh, wait a second, we're just going to play a quick game of rebound at the end here just for fun. That's what we might be getting more out of it than anything. And yep. um, it, it's really funny how that's come. You know, I've, I've played on teams where 
when practice is over, practice is over and pucks are up and, and get off the ice because we've hit our quota and that's, and, and you're really missing out on maybe that the best part of the game or, or to me, one of the most important part of the game. And that's that battle and compete. And uh, like, like you kind of put it one-on-one mono me mono. Yeah. It, you know, I, I remember in college, we, we were fortunate that we were the only ones that used our ice. It was open during the day for anybody on campus to use. And it was usually just the hockey players that went out there and used it because, you know, other students were almost scared if we got on the ice with them, that we were going to embarrass them or something, which we wouldn't have. Um, but my coach would end almost every single practice with a shootout. And his thought process was, if you get that breakaway, you got to know what you're doing. So work on it. Um, so we, we were great at, you know, on breakaways, but it, it was, again, that, that uh, competition element. And that would get the juices flowing that, you know, when practice was officially over, the coach would leave. And then we, we would just stay out there and we would compete playing the rebound game. And, yeah, that, that was just that pure element. And it was usually until enough of us got tired that the game ended. <laughs> no, and, and that's the best. And it's something now that I've uh, transitioned over to coaching more is I didn't realize how, how much goes into, obviously, from the player standpoint, they want to know what to do on their breakaway. Uh, and from the goalie standpoint, those those breakaways you take at the end of practice are invaluable. And uh, the amount of knowledge you can gain off your teammates and just yep. just the quality conversation that comes from it, especially if you get an array of guys like uh, if a coach, for example, was to send every guy on the team has to go once, you're going to laugh because, you know, half the guys will never see a breakaway in a game or be, yep. be selected for a shootout or whatever. But you're going to see their approach to the uh to the breakaway or the shootout and you're going to see their strategy and and a lot of good conversation comes from it and that's really what i'm learning now is that um it it might not be the right way to do it but they're they're attacking the net a certain way and now if you insert a few ideas into those maybe higher skilled players and from the goalie's perspective we're stealing ideas from them and they're stealing ideas from us Mm -hmm. we're starting to get somewhere now and, and everybody seems to really grow so again to your point that that time after practice, the whistle might have blown and practice might be officially uh, over in quotations, but it's, it's really, you know, that's, that's some of the most valuable practice time we have. Well, it's funny you say that too, because when I, I coached uh, after college, before we had kids, I was doing some uh, coaching at the high school level here in Minnesota. And, uh, we would end most practices with the shootout. So we got to see who was good at it and who wasn't. And we're in a Christmas tournament in the championship game and the game went to a shootout. And with the game on the line, down to the last shooter, we threw one of our defensemen out there that had maybe one goal all season. And, like, we could see the parents were like, what are these guys doing? Or, you know, what are they smoking? And this kid came down and he just buried it. And, you know, we, we, we just kind of knew. And I remember one of the parents came up to us after the game and they're like, we thought you guys were crazy. We thought you get you had given up on the game. Like, what were you thinking? And we both just turned to each other and we said, "He scores almost every single time at the end of practice on the shootout." We knew he had it in him, uh, but we wouldn't have. We would have thought the same thing as the parents if we weren't doing that most practices. And 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 that's it. it that's such a great example, and it's that's an awesome story because I think. Now, I, I didn't even realize, and I'm not sure if every team does it this way, but as a goalie coach, I have quite a bit of say on who we select game by game to take the shootouts for our team here. And mm-hmm. and I, I do think the goalies probably have 
the best idea of who's who's dangerous, who's a threat, and it's not always your top three scorers. It's it's guys that come down and for whatever reason can uh, use some deception and change the angle and uh, you know maybe change their speed or maybe just have blow it by the goalie with something they're not expecting. But it's it's those repetitions after practice that get that knowledge. Yeah, I, I remember in college, uh, it was my senior year, um, and one of our coaches was actually uh, one of my teammates who had had too many concussions and couldn't play anymore, but he, he's still coaching, and it was a great move to bring him onto the staff. And we would have these discussions, um, you know, after practices, we'd just be sitting around the rink, and he'd be saying, you know, who's, who's just on this week? Because you and I, we know as goalies, some guys, they just – they hit a stride. It's it's almost like in baseball when a guy gets into a groove for a week or two and he's just hitting dingers. And he would ask me, you know, who's who's you know that person you wouldn't think of? That's just they're hot right now, or who's kind of in a slump? And he would take that into account when he was making up lines for an upcoming game. But it, you know, every, every now and then, yeah, the coaches are starting to realize, hey, these goalies they're, they're more than just uh, live bodies in practice. Yeah. And, and it's so important. And, and um, obviously I'm very grateful for that opinion because I, <laughs> none of us would, would have a job if it wasn't, but it's, <laughs> it's something where I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty cool. We've all, we've all evolved uh, as hockey players mm-hmm. and as goalies specifically to the point now where, yeah, you don't just stick the guy in there just to fill a spot. He's a valuable player. He's got valuable opinions. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's it, it's a really it's a really unique spot the goalie is now and um, arguably the most important player on the team night in and night out. Yeah. But it's it's for many different reasons now, not just because uh, you know he might face twenty five to thirty shots a night. Yeah. We're we're not just the weird kid who couldn't skate anymore. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit more about you know your playing days. You know you, you um, at what point in your youth you know we're, we all have that dream. Of you know, playing pro hockey, but at what point did you kind of realize, you know, Hey, I I might have a shot to go somewhere with this. Oh man. I wish I could tell you it was, I was super young and I had this, (laughs) you know, I did this great path, but I was, I was always a level three or level four goalie growing up. I I never made the top teams and Mm -hmm. uh, that's an honest answer. Uh, It was only, um, I, I probably had one of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking most disappointing seasons of my career when I was in Bantam hockey. I think we won one game all season. <clears throat> and I, uh, I realized right there that I still love hockey. I, if I made it through that mm-hmm. season, I was, I was going to do something. And uh, from there I went on to, I, I got to play underage junior. And, and that's kind of when I knew that I was, I might have something if I wanted it. And uh, even that, you know, I got to play junior underage. I kind of moved away from home when I was 15 to do that. And then um it was probably when I made the Western Hockey League and and now all of a sudden you realize that that seemed so hard or such an accomplishment just to get to that level. And the instant I arrived at that level, my next goal was to be the best at that level. And mm-hmm. um, that was just the mindset I had. And, you know, I'd go on to play World Juniors and do all the things there. And, and that was all great. But it was it, it was instantly as soon as I achieved one goal, I, it was like the parameters were reset and it was time to accomplish something new and something better. So I, I never once had this, you know, streamlined path from age 10 to the NHL clearly, right. Clearly that's not <laughs> how it went, but it was right. more that it was every time I 
figured one thing out about goaltending and kind of led to the next and then went on and on and on. And that's, that was really my career in a nutshell. Now, you know, you played junior hockey and then, then you find your way into pro hockey. Um, you know, that first year you're playing, you know, you get a couple games in at Binghampton before going to Charlotte. Um, you know, were you thinking, okay, if, if I keep this up, I've, I've got that, that shot to go to the NHL? Yeah, it, no, it's, I'll have to rewind the story just a little bit. I, I, I won the World Juniors gold medal. I was a starting goalie the year prior. Uh, I won the CHL goalie the year, on and on and on. Not only did I not think I was going to make the NHL, I was convinced it was a no-doubter. No I was so confident that I was going to step right out of junior, right into the NHL. And, and this was, man, this is almost 20 years ago. And so it was, it was different <laughs> then. That, that just didn't happen. And, and, but I, was, yeah. I convinced myself I was going to do that. And um, boy, was it a, a, a rude awakening when not only did I not play in the NHL, I didn't even play in the American League. I started right in the coast. And it was the best thing that happened for me. It was the best thing that happened for my career was realizing, oh, everything I did in junior was cool and that was fun. But that is means absolutely nothing at the next level, which is pro hockey. And I had to relearn everything all over again and re-earn everything I was going to get and nothing was going to be handed to me. And it was just such a good lesson for me. And um, yeah, I got a couple of games in Binghamton that year and uh, it was great, but it wasn't ever... I never ever went into that season expecting to get a couple games in Binghamton. That was the farthest thing from my radar. And once I realized how hard it was to play pro, I think it really like told me what I needed to do moving forward so that uh, I would have success in pro hockey and, and how hard it was going to be to just stick around pro hockey. You know, I, I was talking to Olaf Kolzig recently and he was talking about, you know, his, his road was that he spent, I think it was five or six years in the minors and, you know, he had been called up and then sent down, and everything. And he said now in his role, um, you know, with the, the Capitals, that helps him talk to some of these younger goalies. And th that's your journey has to definitely make it. Uh, so the goalies listen to you like you, you've literally seen everything. So uh, that's going to be one of those things that plays in your favor now. It's it's honestly one of the most valuable tools I have is exactly what you said. It's It's my ability to be able to relate with players that have played everywhere and um, I, I mean everywhere and, it, and it's so it, it's something that I use uh, and, and I use it as a positive I, I spin it as you know those things those tools I picked up I try to grab one thing from every goalie coach I worked with positive or negative I want to do take one thing away I want to take one thing away from every city or town or team I played for so that every time I played in a new spot and a new opportunity presented to me now I have all that information gathered and um, I'm able to relay that back to the goalies I work with now. And it's amazing how many times I catch myself saying, that's exactly what I would have done there. Let me stop mm -hmm. you right now before you make the same mistake I would have made or did make and put you in a better position than I was at your age. And, and I really feel like I, I love uh, the technical aspects of goaltending and everything else. But one of the favorite, my favorite parts of this job is, really relaying all the messages that I've gained over the years and trying to prevent prevent the goalies from making the same mistakes I did or or maybe even setting them up for success just a little better. Well, and so much of the position is, you know, the mental side of it and understanding where they might be mentally if they were, you know, just sent down or just got called up, you know, 
or traded. You know, there's so many things that go on off of the ice that can affect their game. And I mean, in a way you've been through most, if not all of it. So you're able to talk to them about it. Yeah. And, and you know, a, a very good example is, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to work with Lucas Dostel here in San Diego and he, he's been called up and sent down several times and, you know, as much advice as I want to give him, it, it's, it's even better watching him learn some of this on his own. And one of the mm-hmm. comments I made uh, the first year we worked together was it's actually easier to get called up and play well than it is to get sent down and play well. For whatever reason, you get called up, you're in the NHL, you're going to have, you're going to play well. I know it's a higher level and I know it should technically be harder and all these things, yeah. but you're going to raise your game and it's going to be easier to go up it's it's the it's the oh, I'm getting sent down and and all of a sudden those feelings roll into your brain and I, I remember getting sent down from Chicago to Rockford that was way harder to play my game and play well uh, than it was going up and I, I I've told him that story and I think the first time he looked at me like I was crazy and now he's been up and down a couple times that we laugh about it every he time it. He, he he gets it he gets it now and um, it's sunk in and he we we know like. I'm never ever worried when he gets called up. He's ready to get called up. It's when he comes back, we got to put the extra focus in and we got to work on our details to make sure that he's ready to go at this level. And and I I know that might sound backwards for people who haven't been through it, but th- those are the kind of stories that um, I've been through and I have first-hand relations with. And I, I think it's it's good good knowledge to pass along. Well, it, it makes sense because even in the beer leagues, you know, when I skate up a level because I'm subbing, it's a heck of a lot easier than when I skate down a level to sub because the higher you go, the cleaner the game is. On those two-on-ones, you know that pass over, they're going to shoot. But when you skate down, that skill isn't as refined. There's a reason those guys are down there. And so their game isn't as developed. So little things break down here or there. And all of a sudden, you're ready for something to happen as it should, but it doesn't. And now it goes the other way and you're out of position. So it makes sense. It's just exasperated at the pro level. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And, and uh, you know, we I, I don't think I'm the only one that refers to some of the goals as going through the AHL holes under the arms <laughs> or, you know, beside yeah. the pants. And they were aiming high glove or high blocker and missed their shot, admittedly, probably. And and they still got away with a goal. And so, you know, there's different, there's different things you have to, uh, different challenges you have to overcome, different barriers and all those things. But yeah, it's, those are the things that I've definitely been through in my career. And um, like I said, in all different types of levels and uh, different size rinks and different uh, environments. And yeah, you mm-hmm. try to share as much of that knowledge as possible. Yeah. Now this is a complete side note, but I was just checking and I confirmed when you were in Binghampton, you skated with uh, Steve Martins. And yeah. I skated with him one summer, and uh, I, I was just the college kid that was filling in as goalie for them. But Mar- Marty, he, he's a, uh, a fun guy. Yeah, he's he's one of my favorites. He's, he's a real... Since I've seen him, but it's, it's been just great. Yeah, he, Harvard grad, you'd never guess it speaking to him. Uh, but uh, heck of a guy. I remember I was in the locker room. It was him and Rob Brown, and they're just going back and forth. And uh, Rob Brown goes, hey, Marty, I uh, called you up. as wanted to talk to you yesterday, but uh, your wife said you couldn't 
talk or come out and play until you finish mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was a funny one. But yeah, Mar- Marty was a, a fun guy. R- really, like I said, really nice to me as I was just a college kid filling in for a uh, Billy Zito skate one summer back in Chicago. Nope. Yeah, Marty. Marty was great, and and like I said, that's been so many years ago. I'd be love to catch up with him now and and hear how he's doing. But it's it's pretty cool to uh, to hear a story like that so many years later. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you. You know, you've got a couple years in the AHL under your belt, and then you head over to the KHL, and and you go over there for a number of years. And anybody that's listened to Spit and Chicklets, they've heard the stories. What was your experience like going over to the KHL and what even brought you over there? Are you there? Sorry, Joe, I lost you for a second. Oh, okay. I was saying uh, you, after a couple of years of being Hampton, you, you wound up in the KHL and you were there for a number of years. Um, so the first question is what brought you over to the KHL, you know, kind of lured you away from hockey in North America. Yeah, no, it, it was uh, it was a very unique path. And I know not very many 23-year-olds decide they're going to go over to Russia, especially year two of the KHL. And, I mean, looking back on it, it was probably crazy to think that that was the move. But uh, the, the, the honest reality was, is I was with Ottawa. I, I played out my three-year entry-level contract, mostly in Binghamton. Uh, I got qualified for one one more year, and then they didn't extend uh, another qualifying offer, and I was a free agent to do what I wanted. And uh, there was a couple offers in the American League to go around, and out of nowhere, an offer came from this KHL. And like I said, it was year two in the KHL, and uh, it was a one-year offer. And I thought, you know what? What's one year? Um, one of the major reasons I did it was Ray Emery, uh, was over a year prior and, and and he had a lot of success and I remember reading about Razor over there and he was doing so well and he was going to come back and be a starting goalie in the NHL for this team and that and I said all right well if Razor can do this why can't I, I do this and so um, that was my mindset it was it's just supposed to be a one-year thing uh, a one-year stopgap to what I thought was going to raise my stock and make me a goal that everybody would want to come back and play rather than go with just a different American League team. And um, one year, um, you know, working with 23-year-old goalies now, that's probably the last place I'd send them. But um, <laughs> at the time, it was perfect for me. And uh, it was exactly what I needed at the time. And, I mean, anybody that's listened to Spit and Chicklets, we've heard the stories, how crazy it is over there. Um, and I'm sure you've got – but I, I'm I'm wondering more, you know, so often there's European and Russian players that come play in North America, and it's this huge culture shock. They have to learn a language. They have to learn a culture. Um but you flipped the script and you were the person that went to the other country, had to learn the other language. How was that being in a locker room and even just being somewhere where, you know, you couldn't order uh, at the local restaurant. You, you had to learn their way of living and their language and all of that stuff. What was that like for you? 
You know what? That that was uh, that was the best part of being over there for me was was the growing up off the ice, and and I didn't think I realized how much maturing I had to do, and and it, it's something I honestly admit now. Probably at the time, I would have been more stubborn to admit that I needed I had some growing up to do, but um, it, it was definitely hard. It was a culture shock. You had to learn a new language. You had to be around guys that um, maybe you're not best friends with and and you know there was only three or four english speaking players on the team and that was just all part of the process and that was all part of being a hockey player but um, what it taught me is that i love the game uh that i loved going to the rink every day that i loved uh being a hockey player because it was it was more challenging to be a hockey player no i i'm so sorry for that so yeah no i can just let me know where i lost you there and, and i can start over yeah, you were talking about uh, you know how going over there and, and growing up it was really something else, um, which uh, you know Russia itself, especially in that time, had to have been uh, quite an interesting place to be. Okay, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. No. So I mean, it was just such a great experience for me to get, head over there and. And to really learn what it meant to be a pro, and like I said, it was it was really such a good lesson for me to to learn that it, <clears throat> hockey wasn't a given, and and every day over there, if I wanted to be a, a hockey player, it was going to be a little bit more difficult than it was over here, and there was a few more challenges. And um, like you've kind of discussed, everybody everybody pokes fun at how hard it is for the European and Russian players to come over to our league. And it's equally as hard to go in that direction. So mm-hmm. um, it taught me that I wanted it. And I, I definitely wanted to be a part of uh, pro hockey. I wanted to have a career playing hockey. I wanted to uh, continue to do that. And it wasn't going to be easy. I, I got to imagine that that experience has probably helped you um, with those European and Russian players when they come this way, you know, not necessarily for how you work with them on the ice, but maybe how, how you're able to help them off the ice as well. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. it it's, it's uh, you know, I'm working specifically here in San Diego with with uh, a Czech goalie and a Swedish goalie, and um, it's, it's very relatable. It, it really is. And, um, you know, we've, we've had several conversations away from the rink uh, about nothing to do with, with hockey whatsoever. And, you know, year one, it was uh, helping with driver's licenses and social security numbers and simple things that I had a really hard time doing when I was mm-hmm. over there. And man, did I appreciate the people that helped me do that, those kind of things. And now it's evolved into, you know, different kinds of conversations from everything from, you know, having family come to visit to, you know, finding the kind of food they like on their holidays and all just, just all sorts of things like that, which is, those are the things that I missed when I was overseas that I missed from back home. And so I, I try to make that easier for the goalies here. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And e- even when you go to English speaking countries over there, I remember it was uh, it was during the 98 Olympics, we went to England and my grandmother was a war bride. So we have a bit of family over there and they were technically speaking the same language, but I couldn't understand them sometimes. And the food over there was very different than what we have here. So, you know, that sometimes that, that food can make a huge difference uh, to the, to those young guys. Um, so you said you went, you went over to the KHL thinking, you know, one year that this will be good, but one year turned into eight, um, before you returned to play pro hockey in North America. What was it after eight years that you said, you know what, I'm going back home. 
Well, it was it was a couple things, and um, you know what? It's now that I, I guess the playing part of my career is kind of in the rearview mirror. It's a little easier to talk about because I think at the time, um, you know, the easy answer I could give you is I wanted to chase the NHL, and that mm-hmm. is the truth. It was I, I had a burning desire deep down to play in the NHL. I never got one game before I went over. Uh, I still thought I could play in the NHL, and it was something that was bugging me. So that that's. That's honestly answer number one. But you know what? We were looking to have uh, a baby, my wife and I, and, and we wanted to do that back in North America as well. So that was a factor that, you know, maybe played a bigger part of it than I wanted to admit at the time was that, you know, it was time to just come back home and try it on North America. And uh, you know what? Number three and... and, and Four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Not a new customer? You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. I'm not sure who I would place my bets on this week, but it's going to be exciting. I know that for sure. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. After playing eight years in Russia, I don't think I realized how much it took out of me as far as it was time to go back and do it a different way. And mm-hmm. I, I think after a one or two year break, I probably could have gone back to Russia and done it again. But I, I, I felt like it was time to go back and hang out with my North American hockey playing friends and not have to leave in July for training camp and not have to, um, you know, come back home after the season in February or March and, you know, hang with myself for a couple months while everyone else was still playing. And it was all these things that I needed to experience firsthand for myself to see if, if it was really all it was cracked up to be, or if it was just kind of a pipe dream that was being uh, persuaded on TV. And so um, I came back and I don't regret the decision for a second, but um, I think it was a combination of multiple things with number one being just a desire to want to play in the NHL. But I, I do think that, you know, after eight years of missing home and playing in a different country and all that, it was just, it all added up to, it was just time to come back and, and at least give it one more good try at the NHL and see what happened. No, that that makes sense. And I mean, it worked out because in the 17, 18 season, you know, Chicago called you up. Um, what was that moment like when, when you finally got the call? No, I remember exactly where it was. It was, it was, you know, uh, I was I was driving home from a morning skate and uh, in Rockford and and Mark Bernard called me the the general manager in Rockford there and said I'd get called up to play that evening I was going to back up for uh, for Corey Crawford because Scott Darling broke his finger in morning skate and um, my wife was pregnant and so I, I laughed <laughs> because the story goes we were you know we were driving down the freeway it's only an hour and a half drive up the road yep. and and she was. Uh, she was feeling nauseous the whole way, but I wasn't slowing down because I, uh, I wasn't going to be late. I, I wanted to get to the NHL. And so I was giving her and, and uh, I think we had to pull over once for, cause she wasn't feeling well and the whole thing, but it was, 
it was that that feeling of wow like this is actually happening and I, i'm getting to actually go to the united center which that year i didn't even get to in training camp because i was uh i, I moved teams to rockford half i started with toronto that year so all the people i was getting called up to the nhl to a team that uh, without lying I, I was watching on tv years prior when i was in russia and i was watching the tays and the canes and the keiths and the seabrooks win cups uh on tv and you know i was not much more than a fan just watching from overseas so to then come back and get called up and uh you know joel quenville's one of the first guys i meet when i get to the locker room in chicago and just all the stories it was it was surreal and um it's probably very similar to everyone else's call-up story but it was it, it was really cool it was unique it was one of those things you, you never thought would happen and when it did it was i'm so glad it did yeah i i've made that drive uh between Rockford and Chicago many times. It's, it's a quick one. It's an easy one. Yep. Uh, as long as there's no traffic. Uh, but if there's traffic, God help you. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I've made that, that trek many a time now. Now I've gotten to the point when I go home from uh, Minnesota, I just fly because I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> Good. That's the play. Yeah. It just book that flight in an hour. I'm, I'm home. Uh, and then, then it's going to either get pizza or White Castle. <laughs> we we got hooked on Culver's when we were in Rockford. That was a staple. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That they're they're pretty darn good. Uh, I'm I'm pretty happy that here in Minnesota we we now have a couple Portillos around, so I can get my Italian beef sandwiches. Very nice. Those are also uh, that was a nice lunch staple for us there. Yes. Uh, so so you you, you do get those that call up to the NHL and, and you got a couple, you know, good games and you, what is it? You had like 15 games played. And, and I remember that stretch. It, it was uh, almost storybook in that the, you, you went on a heater there for a while. Yeah, it was great. It was looking back at it. Um, it all happened so fast and you're living in the moment. And, and I had a lot of great people that helped me get there and that were supporting me along the way while I was there. And, uh, you know, everybody was helping me live in the moment and just try to present the best version of myself that day when I came to the rink. And I didn't know how many days it was going to last. And I don't think uh, anybody did. It wasn't one of those things where I was filling in for a guy who um, broke his arm and he was out eight weeks and I had a date circled on the calendar when I was heading back to Rockford. It was one of those things where, um, you know, Corey Crawford was out indefinitely. And, and Mm -hmm. so Every day there'd be rumblings of maybe this, maybe that. And after a while, I just blanked it out and I got to kind of just play. And it was a lot of fun. I wish we would have won a little bit more. I wish, you know, you would have stopped a couple more pucks, but that's, that's hockey. That's goaltending. So it was, it was one of those runs where um, I played as much as I could, as best as I could. And I was super proud of the way I played. And, and looking back, there's absolutely no regrets on the whole thing from leaving Russia to give it a try to, you know, getting my chance up, and I don't think I would have changed anything about it. Yeah, and as a Hawks fan, it was fun to watch you. I'll, I'll, I'll say that much. Um, so, you know, you, you play a few more years, 2021 season, you're, you're in San Diego, and you almost become Reg Dunlop because if I remember right, listening to Ingle is uh, you almost started becoming the goalie coach while you were still playing. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and, and the end goal guys, that was, it was fun. Cause it was, um, you know what, it was, it was one of those stories that um, being the player coach, it was, it was delicate. I had, to, I had to be very careful about um, how I spoke and, and what I said and, and looking back, I'm very thankful, especially to 
Bob Murray for bringing me on in such a position, but he was, they were looking for a goalie coach, uh, to come in and mentor the young goalies, uh, because of COVID and because of a couple other reasons, they needed a guy, uh, that could play and mm-hmm. it was, they wanted, uh, it done, uh, similar to the way it was being done in Cleveland with, uh, with Brad Thiessen. And so that was kind of the model that I was going off of. And, um, so I didn't know Brad before, um, before the whole thing. So, um, through Sudsy, my, my boss here in, uh, in Anaheim, I gave Brad a call and I, I reached out and I asked him, how does this work and how do you do it? And he explained it to me. He was so, so helpful. Uh, he was so helpful. I'm just so thankful for him the way he laid out the way he did it. And he said, you'll put your own spin on it. But, uh, you know, year one, I was definitely a player that was coaching and, mm-hmm. um, it transitioned into year two where I was a coach that still played. Uh, and year three was probably now full coaches as we can, we can all, we're, we're all there now, but it was, um, year one was, was probably the most interesting year, you know, where you, um, I dressed with the players every day. I, you know, rode at the back of the bus, played <laughs> cards with the boys, went for dinner with the boys on the road. Uh, and then the odd time I'd get into the coach's office and chop some video and do it that way. But, um, year two kind of flip flopped and I, I spent most of my time in the coach's office and, and, uh, and still suited up for some games, but it was definitely more time in the one office than the other. And, and here I am now, um, haven't seen the players' room yet this year. So it's it's uh, it was it was definitely a Reggie Dunlop thing. And and like I said, it was it was it was unique, but it was the perfect transition out of playing. It, yeah, and I mean, if I remember right, too, is listening to that Ingle episode, you had already started your summer camps. Uh, back in Calgary, so you you know coaching wasn't new to you per se, but it was new in coaching your teammates. That's exactly it. I, I my goal has always been to be a goalie coach. I've 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 loved doing camps. I'm so lucky to work with man the best goalie coaches in the world as a student, as a as a fellow instructor, and 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 I always say the best compliment is, you know, being able to use these guys as resources and share ideas with them and whatnot. And um, so the list goes on and on of all the camps that I either attended or helped out, out with while I was playing. And, and I knew that that was what I wanted to do whenever I was done. So um, when, when Bob Murray and, and Sudsy approached me about this position, it, we were all very upfront about the fact that this was going to be the end of the playing part of my career. And if I was okay with that, then they were okay with that. And as long as, I didn't have any aspirations to, you know, this was another one last, one last. This was, this, this was going to be a coaching focused role. And, and I, I was so excited to get into that. So yeah, I had started my summer camps back home and um, I'd been coaching and, and now I got to coach basically at the pro level. So it was, it was kind of the, uh, I, I put a bow on the whole thing by doing this, but it was, um, it was really that, that kind of transition. Well, and, and the goals are part of the uh, Anaheim uh, system. So how much interaction do you have with the big club, you know, in terms of development and what they want to see? Yeah, that that's actually my favorite part is kind of getting to see behind the curtain um, with what goes on with the big club. And, and I didn't really realize how much um, as just coming from a playing background, how much goes in behind the scenes as far as transactions and conversations and what, what, we want to do as an organization and what is all there. And, and, and I very much realize where I am on the totem pole is, is my job is to help make goalies and, and the goalies that are presented to me 
Um, my job is to improve them and put them in a position to be successful for our organization. And uh, but but you are privy to some conversations as far as um, what we're thinking and and what where we want to go. And 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 it's very exciting for a guy like myself to know um, you know that there's all these young goalies that we're looking to make better. And and my job is to help them along their way and uh, help put them as far as the organization in a better position. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's been really cool. I got a great relationship with Sudsy and Anaheim. We talk um, several times a week. It, it seems like about either the prospects or the current players or um, future players or whatever it is, but um, they're never short conversations. And, and I, I, I always welcome them. They're, they're outstanding uh, chats we always have. And, and I'm, I'm just so lucky to be working for a guy like him. Well, in I, I, I've really started to pay attention to the role of kind of those development goalie coaches and organizations when the Blues won the Stanley Cup because one of my college teammates happened to be Dave Rogalski. And um, he coached Jordan Bennington, helped with Bennington before they got him to St. Louis. And so, you know, I, I don't think the casual hockey fan really understands the importance of the coaches, not just the goalie coach, but all of the coaches at the minor league level and the impact they have on the big club. Yeah. And then that's the coolest part. And, and you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's the most rewarding part um, is seeing a guy that you've worked with um, take that step and, and get to the next level. And, and even if you know, obviously goalies, especially when they make that step, but even let's say a forward or defenseman mm-hmm. that you've seen develop down here for a year or two, um, make strides each year, each year, and work at his craft, and then finally get that chance to play in the NHL it is it's unbelievably special. So um, that's that's by far the most rewarding part of this position. But um, I, I think, like we talked about earlier, it, it is two way traffic here in the minors. So you are getting some guys coming the other way that maybe um, don't feel like this is where they belong, or you know whatever. And so it's managing expectations, and I think. Um, going back to what we chatted about earlier is be having a guy that's, you know, had high expectations and had no expectations. Um, you know, I, I have a good job relating to these players that are um, going through a bunch of emotions, whether it's, you know, ecstatic and this is, this is their NHL every day or guys that mm-hmm. can't believe they're playing in this beer league called the American. League, right. <laughs> so um, it, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun to work with all, all different types of players. Hey, just to remind them that there's a bunch of beer leaguers that would like to play in that one. Yeah. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I get all the time from some local goalies here in San Diego that, you know, they're always available for a quick call up if we need them. And, and uh, it always makes me chuckle. <laughs> yeah. I, I think every time the Blackhawks are in Minnesota, I send a tweet out going, if, if you guys need a uh, goalie for the morning skate, I, I can be available. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those. I'm, I'm always here. In fact, my, my pads are even red, white, and black. It, it'll match the practice jersey. <laughs> well, I, I even I, I've been asked over the years that my time with the Blackhawks was very similar to Scott Foster's. I was right up and down the same time he was. So you know, there's lots of people that say, "Hey, are, are were you the guy that got?" And I said, "No, no, no, that wasn't me." But it was uh, <laughs> you're you're uh, you're not far off there being the guy that gets you know the emergency backup that got thrown in. Yeah, I, I've had quite a few e-bugs on the podcast. I've had Connor Beaupre, who's the Minnesota one, Don's son. Uh, I've had Bones from Nashville, who dressed for Colorado. I had uh, Kyle Conan, the kid who dressed at uh, St. Louis last year and got to take the rookie lap because they uh, knew they would need him be- 
you know, early in the day. I, so I, I've had a few of them on. I even had um, uh, the fellow who got to dress for for the Ducks in uh, Dallas, uh, Tom. I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. Too many hockey putts to the head here. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I've, I've talked to quite a few of them. And just kind of how, you know, the, the stories on how each one of them get connected with the teams and how they get in that e-bug role. And I don't think is a lot of people realize that, you know, yeah, they're mostly all beer league goalies, but they're not your average beer league goalie. They have some skill. Um, And I I think, you know, like a lot of pro sports across sports, those that make it and that those that don't, sometimes it really is just somebody saw them at the right time. You know, and some of these guys, if somebody saw them at the right time, maybe they wouldn't be the e-bug, but maybe they'd be playing somewhere. That that's it. And we, uh, I, I got a lot of buddies back home in Calgary that um, that didn't go on to play pro hockey for whatever reasons. And uh, it's it's a going joke. It, it's the hardest thing to do is to make pro hockey. It's even harder to stay in pro hockey. And um, you know, what if this guy stuck with it when he was 15 or what if this guy didn't get hurt at that level or, and, and it is, it's a right time, right place. And then making the most of your opportunity. Yeah. And it's just, uh, be, being somewhere where somebody sees you and, um, you know, it's, it, it's getting easier and easier for kids to be seen, but unfortunately there's more and more kids being seen at the same time. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's it, for sure. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the coaching because, you know, you're coaching with the Gulls, but you're also coaching, uh, you know, youth goalies. And when I say youth goalies, it's probably that whole range from, you know, young to darn near pro already. Um, how, how do you balance that with your AHL coaching commitments? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's fun. I think they both actually complement each other. It's amazing. Um, how many things translate from the pro game to you know, my squirts and then how much stuff that I did with some of the squirts I can bring on the ice with the pro guys. And um, it, it, goaltending is uh, a lot of fundamentals and it's a lot of basics and the details can be practiced over and over. And um, conversations I've had with guy, different guys, the, one of my big philosophies as a coach is that repetition is, is huge. And, and whether you're repeating the most basic skill set or we're trying to implement something state-of-the-art groundbreaking it needs repetition before it's good and so my job is to put these goalies especially in the pro level in an environment where they can repeat over and over and over the skill set that they either want to get better at or that's something that they need to improve and when I bring that back to the youth goalies or the minor hockey goalies oftentimes it's it's a different skill but it's the exact same concepts of how are we going to this skill set um, so that you get better and better and as goalies I think we all like to uh, check that box for lack of a better term of um, work on a skill master the skill and then move on to the next skill and so that that's often how I approach coaching is let's work on something and let's keep working at it until you feel comfortable that that part of your game is taken care of and then we'll move on to a new skill set and, and we'll practice that. Well, it's, we hear the term all the time now with cool thing. It's building the toolbox. So, you know, what save is in your toolbox for the right time. That's it. And and some goalies have a bigger toolbox. And and (laughs) looking back, you know, when I played, um, I don't know if I had that type of mindset. 
that, that, that goalies do now about building their toolbox. I think I was definitely more stubborn. I don't know if I would have been as receptive to some of the techniques that are being presented now, but that's, that's what it takes now to play uh, is being open-minded when a goalie coach uh, presents a, a concept, whether um, something as simple as overlapping or something as complex as um, different types of post integration and weight transfers and all sorts of stuff, but you have to be open and, um, whether you like it or not, I think it's good to listen. And, and you know, you know, I always say my, one of my favorite things to say is I, it, it's almost more valuable learning what you don't like to do than it is learning what you like to do and taking away um, skills that you realize don't fit for your game and crossing those ones off the list is, is almost just as important as finding stuff that works for you. Yeah. You know, when, when I look at my toolbox, I liken it if my grandfather was a finished carpenter back in the days for power tools, which, I don't know how the heck he did it because even with the power tools, sometimes I can't make a straight cut and he had to do it with hand saws. But I, I look at his, my toolbox today compared to his toolbox he had. Now, if I'm going to the rink and there's a youth goalie out there, his toolbox looks like my actual toolbox and my goalie toolbox looks like my grandpa's toolbox because I still have pad stacks in there. I've been known to throw a skate, the old school skate save out there and my idea of post coverage is still standing up and hugging the post with my, you know, <laughs> armpit. Uh, so, you know, the toolboxes might not always look the same, but if it works for you, it's a great toolbox. And, and that's it. And, and this is my first year of coaching where, um, you know what, we've had a lot of uh, transactions here in San Diego. We've had a couple different goalies come through. And, and there's been something I've thoroughly enjoyed is asking questions just as much as trying to give advice as far as, how do you approach this situation? How do you approach this? And, and learning from the goalies on, on their thought process on maybe the way they approach a certain situation and then lending the advice based on what I see or what I feel like they can improve. But um, you know what? Working with an array of goalies, it, it, it really does enlighten you that everybody's toolbox is completely different. And um, whether it's the size of the toolbox or the amount of stuff you can fit in the toolbox, it's, it's kind of funny because... Uh, uh, it, it takes all types to play our position. Yeah, well, and, you know, to, to your point, it's it's not always understanding what what tools they have, but or maybe that's not the way to put it. But we can't treat them all the same. So you know, getting to know each one is one of the most important jobs of a, of a coach because we need to understand how each goalie is going to respond. You know, it's it's like getting a different power drill. You know, is it a very sensitive trigger or is it uh, one you got to just squeeze the heck out of to get it going? It's kind of the same thing with the goalie. You have to understand how, how to work with them. Yeah. And, and you know, one of my uh, one of my favorite goalie coaches I worked with was Peter Aubrey in, in Rockford. And he's still working with with the goalies. They're developing uh, one after another. But, he, you know what, he, he made great points to me about what I wanted to do and what my body allowed me to do. And at the time I, I took that as almost a shot being an older guy <laughs> saying, Oh, like I can do whatever the kids are doing, but he wasn't, it, it, it sunk, it sunk into me a little later that it wasn't what I, I wanted to do is what I was capable of doing. And, you know, it was a good example was we were talking about RVH at the time and whether you wanted a blade on the post or blade off and was your glove open or was your glove closed and Carey price does this and I do that. And, Whoa, 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 slow down, right? <laughs> what, what is the best way for you to cover the post? And, 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 and he really just made it that simple. And it was based on what 
felt good with how flexible my ankles were, how, mm -hmm. how flexible my knees and hips. And, and when I got in there, what did I see? And, and it wasn't what he wanted to teach. It was what felt best for me. And right. that home for me was that as much as I wanted to flip my wrist over and present this beautiful glove in the RVH, I actually closed my fingers and just decided to put more padding on the back of my hand because that that just felt better and that was going to provide me with better coverage and I was going to be a more athletic goalie that way as a preferred just trying to say to myself I'm going to work on you know cocking my shoulder out of position so that it's spun around so that it looks just like my favorite goalie on TV and that wasn't uh, it was it was that mindset of rather than squishing that square peg into a round hole, I just I did I did what worked for me. No, that that's great. So I'm looking at the time. We've been talking quite a while, um, and I thank you for that. So I want to transition. I close out every episode with a list of ten questions. Now they're sure. the same ten questions I've asked every single guest from the youth goalie to the NHL Stanley Cup winning goalies I've had on the the uh, podcast. Uh, so they're the same ones. Everybody's. Uh, answer and the first first one um, is what's the craziest coaching moment from your playing days and I'm I don't know it yet but I'm gonna guess it probably came from Russia yeah you hit the nail <laughs> there's, there's one that always sticks sticks out uh, to me when you when it was craziest coaching story so I was in Russia um, I don't have to be too specific so I throw one specific team under the bus but I was playing over there and in they take their training camps very serious they're obviously um, a month to two months long, uh, the whole nine yards, two to three workouts a day, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, week one with the brand new team, we get there and the goalie coach who didn't speak much English was huge on goalie chemistry. So he believed that the goalies not only needed to be friends, but like best friends with each other. And if we were all friends, uh, that that cohesion was going to lead to more wins in the season, which I, looking back was a, was a great life lesson. Now, how he implemented that was every day for our warm-up, we had to do somersaults together. And I didn't quite understand what he meant until we got a demonstration, but he made me and the other goalie, um, and it was a padded floor, but I held on to his ankles and he held on to my ankles and straight out of the circus, we tumbled <laughs> amongst each other down the padded floor from one side of the gym to the other and day one it didn't look very good it took us forever and to his credit you know day 60 of training camp two months in we were um synchronized to say the <laughs> least and that thing was beautiful and we did a perfect um tandem somersault all the way down the floor and um, it was one of the craziest things i'd ever seen uh but looking back we were good buddies because of it and we, we had a good <laughs> laugh every morning now, now, do you ever threaten your goalies with having to do that just so that they get on the same page? I can't find a padded floor long enough. And if I could, <laughs> it would be a staple in all my camps. And I would make the young goalies, the old goalies, I'd make them all do it. But every time I get the idea, I just look at the hard gym floor and I said, I'm not putting anybody through that. So um, one of these years, I'm going to host a camp with a, with a, uh, a real like padded gymnasium floor and look out goalies, it's coming. You know, I, I got uh, some old great grade school friends that live in San Diego and they're, they're into gymnastics. You know, maybe there's a good gymnastics gym out there I can get you the name for. <laughs> I, I'm worried that if I get in there, they're going to see what I'm up to and they're going to kick me out before. We can... <laughs> I love it. So the next question, what's your favorite all-time goalie mask that you've seen out there? 
Um, Martin Broder fan growing up. So that's an easy answer for me. He, the, the basic, simple Martin Broder mask was by far my favorite. Um, I've seen a bunch of cool ones now, man. Those guys are talented where, you know, matte black colors and mm-hmm. uh, glow in the dark and you name it. That's all cool and stuff. But for me, the traditional Martin Broder mask, just because he was my favorite goalie, um, was, was is an easy pick for me. Well, and even some of them now where, you know, part of it's matte black and the other part, or part of it's a matte finish and the other part's a shiny finish. It's just, they, yeah, they've come a far away. But uh, being a Brodeur fan, what did you think when he went his brief stint in St. Louis, but kept that devil's uh, look to it? No, that, it was the coolest thing because yeah. I, I always thought, I, I shouldn't say, I, I did have a, a set of his heat and pads growing up. And it was my first set of pads that I actually got to order and put colors on. And I know that sounds crazy now the way where we're at, but it was, it was a big deal. And my colors were blue and black. And so I had Martin Broder's red, black and white pads and blue, black and white. Yeah. And, and so to see him change his colors, reaffirm that, you know, Martin Broder can play on another team just like I could. Right. But it was yeah, uh, yeah super cool to see him in those St. Louis colors. Yeah, well, as a Hawks fan, I, I didn't like it. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that That's just, you know, one of those things. Uh, so what's your favorite rink that you've played at? Favorite? Um, that's a long list. I, I think I, I oof, if I have to name just one, that's tough. I'd probably have to be the United Center for a number of reasons. But, um, you know, if I if I made like a top five list, you could go Davos for the Spangler Cup. You could go the, the Calgary Saddle Dome hometown rink united center obviously um got to play at the whatever the, the air canada center the scotia bank center in, in toronto uh and, and then the big rink in moscow was probably you know one of my favorites so though it's, it's easy to put a list together of five when when you're a suitcase like i was and played in just about every league but um the united center would probably be number one i think it'd be fun to uh sit in a room while you and mike mckenna talked about different rinks you've played at yeah me and mike we've done a podcast together and yeah. i don't think we're not short on stories between the two of us. No, uh, I, I loved his podcast. I, I was bummed to uh, see it stop, but uh, yeah, he, he's got some great stories. I, I've had him on this one too. Just, just a fantastic ambassador for goaltending. I, I totally agree. He, uh, he knows the position inside and out. He's, uh, he's a good follow on Twitter. Yeah, I, I love his uh, in-game tweets, and every now and then, when somebody's like, "What, what the heck do you know?" and it's like, "Well." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I know a thing or two about the position, that's for sure. Um, so what's your favorite goalie stick that you've used? Um, oh, good question there. I, I, I actually used a Roberto Luongo curve for the longest time. Um, it was, it was easily accessible. I don't know if it was a Western Canadian thing when he was with Vancouver. Or I don't know why, but that was the generic curve that I used for the longest time. Um, from there, you know what? It was the first time I got a composite stick, which I'm embarrassed to admit was like several years into pro hockey. But that changed the game when you went from like a wood stick that would snap and get slivers to like a composite stick that would give you a different kind of slivers. That was that was cool, right? So, um, but as far as curves, I think that Roberto Luongo curve was like a staple for me growing up. Yeah, I I haven't used the Luongo, but I've seen it. I've talked to guys that like it. Um, so that's that's a good one. What is your favorite youth hockey memory? Uh, youth hockey for me was great because I, I grew up with two brothers. So we um, we spent a lot of time in hockey rinks, whether it was me or watching them or a combination of both. But um, I, 
it was a Christmas tournament. I'll never forget it. I got a brand new catcher, uh, and we played it in Calgary um, at the Olympic Oval, blah, blah, blah. And I, I think I was actually, I don't want to say called up, but played on a level higher than I was supposed to be playing for this tournament. And just remember that tournament. I don't, don't know why, but it was one of my favorite youth hockey uh, moments. I was young. It was just uh, the game was simple, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Those are always good memories when you get that new glove, just play well with it. Um, so what is the best chirp you heard on the ice, off the ice, directed at you, not directed at you? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> best chirp, yeah. There's a few that probably can't be repeated, but there is um, – you know what? Um I'll leave it at this, and this this is as good because it's because from your area, uh, your area was you know while I was with the Blackhawks, um, I don't think I realized how much chirping went on internally, and, and <laughs> this comes from the best place. But it was the forwards giving the defenseman a hard time. It was the defenseman giving the forwards a hard time. Everybody was chirping everybody on the same team until we scored, and especially until we won. And nobody could be happier to celebrate with each other. It was the coolest form of camaraderie I've ever seen because the chirps were genuine and they met, they were coming from the heart yep. and everybody wanted to win so bad that they were on each other. But it, it, in the end, it made everybody better. It held everybody accountable. And it, we got to a point that after the game, not one thing was remembered or did, or did you ever feel bad for saying it? It was with the common goal of making the team better. And, you know, I've talked about many times on the podcast, if you're on a team and somebody's not, and you're not getting chirped, that means they haven't accepted you. That's it. That's exactly. If you know, if you're okay with getting chirped and giving chirps, then that is a team. And that was the, when I saw it in Chicago, it was the first time I'd really witnessed it at that level. And I realized how much these guys cared about each other. And that sounds backwards. Uh, You know, to chirp each other the way they did was holding each other to that highest standard. Um, so that everybody had the best chance at winning. Yeah, and it, it's almost like as offensive as the chirp can be means they like you that much more. Yep, yep. That, <laughs> you know, That's exactly true. It, it's the darndest thing that so many people just cannot understand. And they're like, why do you have to be mean? Why do you have to be that way? And it's like, I don't have a good explanation for it. It's just, it's the way it is. That's the way we are wired. Totally agree. Yeah. So what is the worst post-game beer? Uh, anything in Russia. Anything in – I did not enjoy – I don't get me wrong. I definitely drank them. But they uh, – I, I learned year five, six, or seven over there that their post-game beers, um, although they had a Bud Light or a Bud label on it or even, you know, Czech brands, um, they were all produced in Russia. So if you had – a couple beers after a game, you'd wake up with the worst headache the next day, even if it was just one or two. And I, I learned it was almost like knockoff beers. So you had to start checking um, the packaging codes to see if you're getting authentic beers, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, I learned that Russian beers post-game are no fun because you get a headache the next day no matter what. Yeah. Well, the, the, the Russians know vodka. They don't know beer. That's it. That would be That's a good answer. Yeah. So when you taped your stick, did you go heel to toe or toe to heel? Uh, I went heel to toe. Okay. You, you are in the 
majority. I've had two separate goalies say anybody that goes toe to heel is a psychopath. I <laughs> might not agree with them, uh, but the fact that they hadn't heard the other one and both of them said that, I was like, there's got to be something to this. Um, so what was your favorite number to wear and why? Uh, my favorite number growing up again was 30, Martin Brodeur. Um, I got to wear 30 in NHL, so that was pretty cool. But um, with the amount of teams I played on, which is way too many, I've, I've worn almost <laughs> all the numbers. So um, everything, I wore a 35, I wore a 53, a uh, 31, a 33, uh, you name it. I, I, I very much dislike number one. And, and so that was always everywhere I played. I'd been offered it a couple times, but I just, I, I, I like the 30s numbers better. Uh, so I always declined that. Now, that was the only number I declined. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't like one. I don't feel like I've got a number on my back when I wear number one. Yeah, it's something about it, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. So the, the last question, and, and I think this is the best one, is what advice do you have for young goalies? If you love the game and you want to be a goalie, there's going to be room for you to be a goalie. And the best goalies I've come across at any level are the goalies that love being a goalie. So um, it's okay to be a little bit nerdy. It's okay to love the game more than some of your players or, or nerd out with other goalies. I think those are the best goalies. So um, my advice to any goalie out there is, is don't let anybody say to you um, – you can't be a goalie. You're not good enough to be a goalie. I've seen some athletes that shouldn't be goalies turn out to be unbelievable goalies because they just wanted it more. And, and so um, if there's one piece of advice I can give to any goalie out there is if you want it, don't let anyone tell you you can't. And that's cheesy and that it, it sounds just like cliche as it is. Go for it because there is so much room out there for good goalies. Every team wants a good goalie. And if you dedicate yourself to that position – Physically, mentally, uh, on the ice, off the ice, you will become a goalie, I promise, because um, that's what the position is. It's just dedication to the sport and to your teammates and all that good stuff. So uh, that's my cheesy line, but uh, that's I'm sticking to it. Well, th that's great advice, though. So I, I like it. Um, Jeff, thank you. I'm going to make sure I have links to both uh, the goalie school and the Instagram account in the show notes. Uh, but again, thank you for your time. It's been fun chatting with you, getting to know you a little bit. No, I really appreciate you having me on. I apologize for some of the technical stuff, uh, <laughs> losing you there for a little bit, but it was awesome. It's, it's fun to relive some of those memories and, uh, us goalies love sticking together. Yeah. Well, if the uh, travels bring you through the twin cities, uh, let me know and I'll buy you a good beer, not a Russian beer. I'll take you up on the offer. Appreciate that. Uh, all right. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Jeff was an awesome guy to talk to, and I thank him for finding time to chat with me. Young goalies look up to superstars like Vasilevsky, Soros, and Sisirkin, but they should not overlook guys like Jeff who worked hard, paid their dues, and still made their dreams come true. Be sure to follow Jeff on Instagram and Twitter at glasswall 33 and Jeff Glass Goaltending on Instagram at Glass Goaltending. And of course, visit jeffglassgoaltending.com. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube simply by searching for Wash Up Goalie and I'll pop up. Visit washupgoalie.com for some great hockey-related content, 
my Beer League Hockey video highlights, and of course, all podcast episodes. If you want some wash-up goalie or tendy talk apparel, be sure to visit my Threadless shop by clicking the merchandise link on my website. If you like this podcast, go listen to the BLPA Big Show. It's the OG BLPA Podcast Network show where a couple of Beer League players talk Beer League hockey, draft experience shenanigans, and exploits from around the game. Be sure to check out the full lineup of hockey-related podcasts on the Hockey Podcast Network as well. There are too many lists here, but shows like the Bar Down Breakdown Podcast, the House of Hockey Podcast, and the Tales with Terry Ryan Podcast can all be found. If you're looking for something good to read, get yourself a subscription to Vintage Tendy Magazine. Published quarterly by episode 28 guest Brent Denor, the magazine takes a deep dive into a goalie, usually from the 80s or 90s, and in the first six issues alone, they've covered goalies like Potvin, Fuhr, Chevalier, Tebow, Reggett, Van Beesbrook, and episode 20 guest, mask painter Don Strauss. The latest issue highlights Darren Pupa. I need to thank the band Zambonis for allowing me to use their music on my episodes. You can download their music on iTunes or listen wherever you stream music from. I'm always working on lining up other goalies to talk to, so if you are a goalie or have connections to a goalie who I should talk to, shoot me an email at washupgoalie39 at gmail.com or send me a DM on social media. Let's not forget, if you're a brand that wants to sponsor the show, be sure to reach out to me. Be happy to talk. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast platform you're listening on. It's a quick action on your part that helps others find Tendy Talk. So, until next time, keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck. Right away.